The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Today was the first day Manitobans could make camping reservations. So we spoke with one such Manitoban. Listener Christy contacted us last week and she is excited. I, of course, went golfing over the weekend and I had a great time, but there was an unexpected side effect of being around people. We have our weekly chat with Bob Irving. We also meet an author who is also an emergency physician and a playwright. Melissa Yee tells us about her new book, Scorpion Scheme. And since we were talking about camping today, we had a great time learning about the funny things that have happened to you while camping. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back Tuesday, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, April 5th podcast for The Start. It is five degrees outside 680 CJOB. Wow. Voice was crackly to start there, Loren. <laughs> Rough weekend? Uh, Tiring weekend? <laughs> well, All of the above? Yeah, I wouldn't say rough, but it was it was definitely a tiring weekend. We are live, by the way, on this Easter Monday, and hello there. Good Sorry morning. for the crackly start. I just I realized I haven't spoken in the last couple of hours other than to <laughs> sort of grumble at Jeff Fortier. So. Well, you don't have Greg there this morning. Greg's, <laughs> Greg's got a day off, so you're just walking around the hallways all your lonesome. Yeah, and, and it's, one of the, it's that weird holiday where some people are working... Some aren't. Let us know if you are. 204-780-6868. For example, in this building, we are here, CJOB. Our colleagues down the hall at Global TV, they're there. I see Gabby's on Global News Morning right now. But our FM colleagues from Power and Peggy, they're off today. Our sales, administration, promotions teams, they're all off. So, yeah, Easter Monday. I guess we'll we'll get a day off. Some I think there was one year, Loren, where, <laughs> where I needed the day a day off so bad, so we had to work Easter Monday, and then I took the Tuesday off, like the next day. I'm like fine, you I'll take Tuesday about off. Doing that this year, you mentioned that briefly, and I thought, <laughs> well, that's just no good. <laughs> just makes. I mean, it's nice to have that random day off, but in terms of just actually getting some rest, yeah, three or four days, even four is not enough. I'd argue right now. I don't know. I know we've talked a lot about being tired on this show, and it's not because of the shift anymore. I really feel like something else is going on. Just kind of just done, you know? Well, The schedule is just weird now, and I'm done with done with all of it. You're done with everything, and this past weekend was, of course, the Easter long weekend. And did you do anything special with the family? Well, we did. So we did go to church. That would be normal for us, like for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And the the Easter Bunny did come yesterday, so that was nice. The kids were excited for that. But this would mark the very first COVID holiday for me where I didn't try to do everything that I would have done pre-COVID. So Easter last year, you know, I still tried to do a, um, a turkey and all the trimmings and everything, the things that I would normally have on Easter, even though we didn't have family. Thanksgiving, I tried to keep normal. Christmas tried to keep, you know, all the same traditions alive. And yesterday, I was just, I felt like that was it. Like, I couldn't do one more day where it was not my whole family around the table or not seeing the people I know. And I didn't even do any of those Zoom or FaceTime calls or anything like that with family just because I just, it just, it, it's doing it the second time around. I didn't want to mark it that way. So I just didn't. 
and still was a good day. There was nothing wrong with it, but I wasn't going to normalize it uh, anymore because because I didn't have the energy to do it. It was a beautiful day too yesterday. Yeah, uh, just spectacular. I was. Uh, wearing short sleeves on the golf course. Uh, the question of the day, by the way, over the weekend had to do with Easter. Government calling for another low-key Easter celebration this year. What are your plans? 60% said just sticking to the people in my household. 27% said one or two guests. And uh, 14% said I don't celebrate Easter. Question mm-hmm. of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace, by the way. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Uh, One of the interesting things that I felt over the weekend, I got to golf Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was at Kingswood uh, with, got to see some friends finally. So thanks to Kingswood for just kind of bringing some normalcy into our lives. It was so nice to see so many friends and not feel like a scofflaw, you know, like I was sneaking around to hang out with my buddies. That's right. That's a good point, Brett, just to be able to go out and say, I'm allowed to be out here. Yeah. This is all good. It was I'm doing wonderful. what I'm supposed to do. And it's nice out. The smile on your face was amazing. That should go, that should be turned into an emoji for a yay. <laughs> like if you ever want to just hit a yay button, it should have been your face golfing on uh, the weekend. He actually does smile. Look at that. <laughs> Photographic evidence. But one of the things that I found, because Friday after the round, I went home and I was asleep before nine. And I never go to the bed that early on Friday. And especially after, like, we didn't work on Friday. And then Saturday, same thing. I was asleep before 9. And I think it wasn't so much the... I mean, it was... Obviously, I haven't done anything really physical or outdoors for months now. But I think just being around people and having to have conversations and think of things to say... It was exhausting. It was a full frontal assault on my senses and my brain. And uh, I even reached out to our psychologist friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, and asked him if I'm out to lunch on this. And he said, no, I think there's something there. So we're actually, uh, he's available to talk to us tomorrow morning. I think we might bring him on just after seven. But it was weird, Loren. I, I felt so awkward at times. Like there were people I hadn't seen in months and I didn't know what to say to them other than, Hi. <laughs> Yeah. And then the greetings changed. I had the same encounter on the weekend with a friend I hadn't seen since Christmas time, even though we live 20 minutes apart. But, you know, you're trying to make those arrangements all the time for what you can and can't do. So we did a patio drink and, uh, you know, you walk up to each other and you have that whole like, uh, hey, you know, because you're not... <laughs> Do I, you know, hug, a high five, you know, and, and she's actually received the vaccine. So she's feeling a bit more optimistic and good about things versus where I'm at because we're still not there yet. And so there was, all, there was that whole chat. And then you have that kind of racking your brain to, to not make conversation, but the eye contact and all the things that you haven't been doing really normally. You're, you're actually plotting it out more so than I think you would have. It all came naturally before. And now you're like, it's my turn to talk. I should say something next. I should <laughs> smile. I should look up. Oh, I like your hair. Like it just, everything was just odd. I, I hear you. And I know there was that survey last week that said that the thing that people are, one of the things people are most afraid of to after the pandemic is being able to do small talk. And I was clearly a victim of that over the weekend. I'm, I'm bad at small talk at the best of times, but this past weekend, it was just an exercise and awkwardness for me. But it was wonderful to see friends, and it was so much fun to get out and do the thing that I love to do, even though I'm bad at it. Uh, we do have some more thoughts uh, after 7 o'clock, though, on one of the changes that occurred over the golf courses, and that had to do with not being able to serve alcohol on the course. I can't, I'll just very quickly mention this. Um, 
so many people thought it was an April Fool's joke. I got dozens of text messages from people saying, come on, this is, a, this is an April Fool's joke, right? Nope. Easter Monday, let us know if you're working today, 204-780-6868. In our next segment, we're going to talk about funny camping stories and tell you what you can win if you tell us a good story. But the reason we are talking about funny camping stories in our next segment is because in this segment we're talking about how thousands of campers are keeping a close eye on the clock and their laptops this morning as they count down the minutes, the seconds, to 7 a.m. Yeah, that's when Manitobans can officially start booking summer campsites. Brett, the first phase opens up today for anyone looking to book into Birds Hill. And then Wednesday, there's the second phase for places like Winnipeg Beach, Big White Child, Caddy Lake, and more. And so, yes, you can make reservations by phone or in person, but online is really how so many people do it. And if you're going to do that, you need to act fast. Our next guest is not only armed with an entire schedule of how she hopes camping will go this year, but I think there's a couple of laptops or iPads and all the rest trying to make it work. So we say good morning to Christy Gallinuk. Good morning, Christy. Good morning. How would you describe today? Is this like a nervous moment as we lead up to seven? Excited? Uh, how does it feel? Yeah, it's a, it's a nervous excitement. That's exactly how to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got the season all planned out. If all goes well, how many weekends are we talking that you and your family will be camping? I think I've got uh, eight reservations in, in the hopes for the summer. So between weeks and weekends, but a uh, total of eight. Well, I, I salute you for, for being that organized. <laughs> but uh, is it exhausting having to ma- plan out your entire season? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow, never mind in uh, the July 19th to the 23rd. I mean, it is. I, I Usually around February, early March, I've got the calendar out and I'm uh, trying to figure out, you know, which uh, weekends in the summer, if any, my husband will be on call. Um, it's also, you know, totally dependent on what the kids' football schedule is like. So I, I go in with the hopes that everything I've got planned out will, will be able to make work. Um, but uh, I enjoy the planning part of it. I, I like to think about the places that we've been and the places that we want to go and and look at where we want to spend a full week versus a couple nights. And uh, it's all part of the fun for me. I'm glad you said that. I actually asked Christy Brett if she would also book my websites, my campsites <laughs> this morning. And she said she was a bit busy. But I think it's I think it's sort of, you know, it's kind of a tale of two stories here. Because, yes, if you're organized, you can make it work. But then you do have to be organized, Christy. So tell us about the setup. Today's just Bird's Hill. But as you head into Wednesday, how do you make it all work? Because the online system can be frustrating. I've tried it myself in the past. And so what what's your setup this morning as you get ready to try to make these eight different dates work? Well, it, it can definitely be frustrating. And I think I've got uh, three or four bookings that I need to do today for Birds Hill. Um, so I'll have, you know, just to try to get the best spot in the queue as possible uh, when it opens at 7 o'clock, I'll have probably a, a browser or two on my laptop open, an iPad or two, and uh, my work phone and my, my personal phone going all trying to, to get that spot in line. So see which one uh, comes through for me today. Why do you like camping so much? You know, I love camping. I, we enjoy all parts of it. We like to go for hikes, bike rides, uh, sit around the campfire, making s'morios. Um, I think my favorite part, though, is just being able to get out of the city and curl up in a hammock with a good book, not think about the laundry that needs to be done at home or the house that needs to be cleaned, and just enjoy the time with my family. You lost me at s'morio. I need to hear more about that. What's that? Obviously, a combination with the Oreo cookie instead, or 
It is. Yeah, we ran out of graham crackers one year. And so, uh, you know, we reached into the bin and, and we had some Oreos and we made it work. And now it's been a family favorite ever since. So as we talk about how hard it is, you know, you mentioned having laptops on the go, iPads, maybe your phone, a couple browsers. Is there, do you think we can do this better? You've obviously run into different people over the years from other parts of the world or country, at least, you know, that might point to say how they do it in Ontario, where you don't have to book your whole summer in advance. Would you like to see Manitoba change some of the ways it does these camping reservations, Christy? Absolutely. I mean, I don't do a lot of camping outside of Manitoba. Um, I, I've done Ontario a few times, and even their system is a, a whole lot better than ours, where you can just book three months in advance. You don't have to have, you know, the entire summer planned out at the beginning of April. I don't have to know what my plans are going to be in September uh, to be able to book. So um, I would love to see changes to this system. And, to you know, they've staggered it, which is nice. So it's not all the campsite bookings for all the sites at, at, at one time, which is nice. But it's, it's still, it's, uh, it's intense when you're, when you're trying to get on and get those reservations. And when it comes to those reservations, even a few months down the road, have you bump, run into situations in the past where you didn't get the, the bookings that you wanted? Yep, definitely. Um, especially when we're trying to book with family or friends and we're trying to get those sites that are close together. Um, you know, we plan as much as we can in advance, but the day of, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And at this point, especially with the pandemic, if, if we don't get what we're looking for, we're relying on somebody else to, to cancel their their site reservations so um you know we want to try to get on and and if we have to cancel later on that's fine i'd rather book in advance and then have to cancel later than not be able to get something christy we know it was so busy last year with more people even just buying campers or tents and those kinds of things what do you expect for this year have you heard from non-campers who are looking to get into the game this year just for something to do yeah i I definitely have i've got some friends who are like well you know we can't go go anywhere else so we may as well you know, pitch a tent and, and try to try to get out of the city a little bit. But uh, last year was it was definitely different. Uh, I anticipate this year to be much the same. Like I said, you know, we used to be able to get those last minute reservations for a weekend that became free. But gone are those days right now with the pandemic. So, Christy, before we let you go, if, if there is somebody listening who's, who thinks, you know what, maybe I will give camping a shot. Obviously, you're not going to go out and buy all of the, the stuff that you might have, but what would you say would be like an essential camping starter kit? Just like if you, if there are a handful of items that you would absolutely need. Um, depending on where and when you're going, you're going to want to have obviously some shelter. So a tent or whatever it is that you're using. Um, camp stove, I think is, is a big one. We, you know, started out our camping days by cooking everything over the fire and slowly graduated to a camp stove and a little barbecue. So um, makes life a lot easier. All right, Christy Gallagher. And the Oreos. <laughs> and the Oreos. Don't forget the Oreos. <laughs> well, Christy, uh, we wish you Godspeed. 7 a.m. is almost here. Hopefully you get what you're looking for. But thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Thank you so much. And uh, 7 a.m., off to the races. I wonder, do you think they, they started it today because it's a holiday for some Loren and they, they just know that people are going to not be paying attention to their jobs because they're too busy trying to book campsites? <laughs> I've often wondered that, like how you do it when you're at work or you have to get to work or how you make that happen. And I said last year, I sat here with the browser open, just waiting to try to get in uh, to try to get a yurt without realizing that the yurts are done, I think, ahead oh. of the campsite. So I had it all wrong anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the things you learn trial by error, right? <laughs> 
Camping reservations start at 7 a.m. So right now we want to talk about funny camping stories, not necessarily horror stories, because that could be, I think we might actually do that as a separate topic one day down the road. It could be the same thing, but specifically we're looking for something funny that happened to you or to somebody you were with while you were camping. Text us a story, 204-780-6868, for your chance to win that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. And in the meantime, we've got Adrian McMorris joining us in for Jeff Braun. So why don't we start with Adrian. Hello there, sir. Hi, how's it going, guys? We're doing all right, buddy. So what's your story? Well, my story, I had a, I had a uh, you gave me a bit of a heads up, so I had to think about it. But mine actually started before we even started camping. Uh, last summer, after I got let go from another job, my, some friends and I decided to kick back and go for a trip. And as we're loading the canoe and all the gear into my friend's car, he tells me, oh, we've got my, my brand-new dog, 70-pound German Shepherd in the back, coming with us. And we go, oh, okay, you know, it's fine with me. I don't know where it's going to sleep. He goes, oh, it's sleeping in our tent, tent with me and my friend Stu. And then, so we got this 70-pound dog in the back, the canoe on top of pool noodles on top of his Jetta, and we're heading out. We get onto the highway, and I start rolling up the window, and he goes, oh, you might not want to do that. There's, uh, there's no AC in this car. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 35 degrees, beginning of July, just cooking in there. And it was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive to Kenora, windows down the hallway. The car was rattling, and any conversation we had, we had to scream at each other. <laughs> and by the time we got to our, our load-off to, to push the boats in the water, we met up with everyone else. And they went, all right, let's get going. And Stuart and I looked like we'd lost about five, ten pounds of just pure sweat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> the trip hadn't even started, and we were exhausted. <laughs> That's a great story, uh, Adrian. What about you, Camp Fortress? Uh, we were, was sort of similar out in Ontario. Uh, we went out to this uh, island, and we were just camping. And uh, a friend of mine, Gary, he'd head out there all the time, and he knew the, he knew this he knew the area really well. And I think that's important with his story because we're all sitting around the campfire and we're, we're, you know, the night's winding down and we're almost out of firewood and, and he didn't want to go to bed yet. So he goes, all right, grabs his, my buddy Lyndon. And he says, okay, let's go find firewood. Now this is in the, in the dead of night and in, you know, in the middle of summer. And you know, I was like, maybe it's not such a good idea. Maybe we should just go to sleep. Well, Gary goes, no, 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 we're going to go out. So they go out and they go and they spend 45 minutes out in the, in the darkness and we, the rest of us sitting around the fire, we're starting to get a little worried. Like, what's going on? It's been, it's been a while. 45 minutes go by. They come back with giant handfuls of wood, like up to, past their head in stacks. And they go, here we go, guys. We found it. And then they proceed to f- throw it all on the fire. And it burned up in like maybe two or three minutes. And it went really big. Uh, it, was, it was an ill-advised situation. But it's like, you guys went out there for 45 minutes. And then you just throw all the wood on the fire, like, right away. And it was like five minutes later, we all had to go to bed because we had no more firewood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Loren? I'm starting to think that the funny stories are, are also horror stories, depending on how you look at it. Uh, mine is from camping. When my husband and I first started dating about 11 years ago, we uh, did a lot of camping in the beginning. So we went out to Child's Lake, which is in the Duck Mountains, north of Russell. Beautiful spot. We were just tent camping back then, and it rained uh, in the middle of the night. And that's when we discover, as everyone always does, where the leaks are in the tent. (laughs) And I'm laying there next to him, and I'm all cozy, and I just hear this, like, you know, like the first drip. 
drip. And it's landing just right in the middle of his forehead, like just on, no matter where he moves, it's just... And of course, I can't stop laughing because I'm like, well, I'm fine. Like, I'm dry over here. So he's like, move over. So I move over. And for whatever reason, it's like it followed him. Like, it just kept dripping on the middle of the forehead. So he gets up and says, that's it. Like, I'm going in the truck. And I was like, have at her. Like, so he goes and sleeps in the truck, like sitting up by the steering wheel. And I'm just laying there all cozy thinking to myself, like, what? And I never got wet. No matter where I laid, I was fine. And it was just this, I don't know what was going on, but I can still see his face. And just that annoyed look like, ah, like aggravated, kind of like the mosquito in the tent, mm. but the water drip. That's, uh, that it was like water torture. Yes. Like a slow yes. water torture. <laughs> that would drive me insane. I would have torn the whole tent down. Forte, what about you? Oh, you know what? You actually just reminded me of uh, one time me and my friends go camping and I'm sharing a tent with my buddy and, uh, it's his tent. And of course he forgets to bring the fly that goes over the tent. <laughs> oh no. And of course it rains. So I go and I sleep in the car, and which was such a stupid, stupid idea. Number one, I had a little Chevy Cobalt, two-door Chevy Cobalt, so I slept in the back seat, which is so tight. Yeah. Anyhow, but, you know, it was cold that night, so I had the windows up. But, of course, you know, the sun comes out, and the car got so hot, so hot that I got heat stroke. Oh, no, I was, no. I was, I was in the back seat with the sleeping bag, and it just... I was I was dead for the next like three days. Oh man! So here's what we need from you at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. You're twisted. You're twisted, Lorraine. Forte emerging from that car, just sweaty mess, all we delirious. Need the steam comes out. Something I discovered Thursday morning as I was perusing Instagram. Global's Abigail Turner, very active on Instagram with news updates. And she posted something that read, New golf course COVID-19 rule, alcoholic drinks cannot be sold or consumed on the course. So my, of course, my immediate reaction, and this is how we played it on the air. Was, oh my God. Can't, I can't have a beer on the golf course. And I thought, is this an April Fool's joke? And she said, no, it's not an April Fool's joke. And I reshared that post and I got dozens of people texting me saying, ha ha, you got me. Uh, good, that's a good one. And then I'd say, no, here's the, I, then I forwarded the global news link that this is the rule for golf courses. And indeed, uh, one one golf course reached out to us, uh, sent a note uh, with confirmation. Uh, hang on a second here. I'm just pulling this back up now. So this was from the... Uh, oh, pardon me. I'm sorry. I forgot the name of this organization. It's the, uh, but the, the Golf Owners Association. Clarification on the sale and service of alcoholic beverages at golf courses. At this time, and this is from the province, at this time we can confirm that the sale slash service of alcoholic beverages on golf courses i.e. on the golf course playing area, 
is prohibited under the current public health orders. For clarity, the sale service of alcoholic beverages is permitted at indoor licensed premises, at a golfing facility, or at an associated outdoor area of a licensed premise, like a patio, where members of the public can be seated and where alcoholic beverages are only sold to a person who has ordered a meal from the licensed premises. The complete public health order requirements for the sale of alcoholic beverages at a licensed premises can be accessed, and they give you a link. So essentially the same rules as restaurants, and in the meantime, if you're on the golf course, then you can't drink because you're not seated at a table. What if you have your table. own sandwich? What if you pack your own tuna sandwich with you and then chow down on that? I, I, I get it. It's about the sale of alcohol with food, but you golf on the weekend. This, I mean, it takes away from maybe what might be just the one beer or casual beer on the course, but it's got to be a hit to golf courses who also rely on that income because that I would guess that's a big chunk of where it comes from is the beer cart. Oh, for sure. They make, uh, I don't know how much, how much beer or how much alcohol gets sold on the golf course. But the thing that now I know on Friday or on Thursday, Greg and I played it for laughs. Oh no, we can't drink on the golf course. Boo hoo. But what really sort of got me fired up about this was a, the lost revenue to the golf course, I think that's going to be a lot of money. But it's also, and I'm, all, I'm sort of like loath to acknowledge this because I don't want to, this is not an endorsement and it's not an encouragement because it is illegal to bring your own alcohol to the golf course. But this happens already. If the, if the province thinks that by prohibiting the sale of alcohol on the golf course is going to prevent people from drinking then they're nuts. Uh, I don't know. So I'm hoping this was just an oversight and that it's something that they're going to change soon because when they wrote the public health order, they probably weren't thinking about this, right? Um, but it just it, it, the only thing this accomplishes is it hurts the golf courses and the golf course is still liable. Like if I do, if I were to sneak alcohol onto the course, get drunk, do something stupid, hurt myself, the course is responsible for that. They're they responsible. They're liable for that. So I think that this just, uh, I think this is bad. This is bad news. I'm trying to figure out if this is about curbing extended socialization or if you have drinks you get too close to one another and you start doing that yelling talking thing and you know like all the things that come with the alcohol consumption because beyond just it being something that they wrote up a few months ago without foreseeing the golf season or scenarios like this I'm trying to think health wise what would be the reasoning behind this and so that's one of the questions I think we'll have to ask because I don't think it's just going to be golf courses. There'll be other scenarios where this happens. Did you not do also some indoor golfing, Brett, where you encounter the same thing because of how alcohol is sold? Um, like, would you normally be able to go to say a virtual golf and have a beer while you're swinging your mm-hmm. golf club? Yeah. yeah. And you can't do, you can't do that either. Right. Because I wasn't from, uh, it was only people in the same household. So if I went with somebody, in, like if you went as a family, uh, you like a then, restaurant rule. Yeah, but because I was there with a friend, the, who I don't live with, neither of us were allowed to order uh, food or drink. Uh, I, I, oh, actually, I can't remember if it was food as well, but definitely no alcohol. So if I wanted to buy a bottle of water, I guess they can't prohibit me from doing that. But yeah, you're, I, th- I guess the 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 idea here is that by preventing. Uh, the drunken frivolity, perhaps there's, it, it's easier to keep people physically distanced because look, if you've ever, anybody who has ever been to a golf tournament, um, that is <laughs> one of the, the places where you will see people devolve into children is at a golf tournament. Some of the worst behavior I've ever seen anywhere is during a golf tournament because a lot of people 
drink excessively. So yeah, it happens. People will drink to excess. They will drink too much on the golf course and behave like children. So in that sense, I suppose this in theory will help to prevent that. But again, like I said, uh, people, whether it's, it's, it's not legal. And again, I'm not encouraging it, but people do bring alcohol onto the golf course. So I think the only thing this does is it hurts the golf courses. So let us know what you're thinking on this 204-780-6868. Again, this is not me whining about the fact that I can't buy a beer for myself. It's not the end of the world. And it's not going to, somebody said it might actually help your, your golf game. And I said, no, nothing's, nothing can help my golf game. It's just terrible. But uh, we would love to hear from you on this. Brett at cjob.com is my email. McNabb at cjob.com. If you want to email Greg, it's Mackling at cjob.com. Wake him up. <laughs> he's probably he's, awake already. He's been awake since, too. I'm surprised we haven't had some story ideas sent to us. <laughs> I love him. That guy doesn't rest. No. He's constantly going. And speaking of getting no rest, we are getting some great camping stories coming in, including Greg, who knows my love of puns. You sent me something similar this morning, Brett. Greg text, whenever I go camping, it's intense. <laughs> Here's uh, another sort of punny camping note, Loren. This is from Ian. He sent an email to Brett at CJOB.com asking, how do you find out if the people on your block like camping? Just canvas the neighborhood. <laughs> Oh, that was our first camping experience as as kids, those canvas tents, and they'd be so heavy and so hard to set up. And now these tents these days are a dream. You just put in like basically one pole and it pops up and you're just good to go. And some of them have verandas, like a veranda extension on the tent compared to those canvas ones. Uh, We got a great text from a listener if we have time. It's coming from Mike Brett talked about how they were coming back from Toronto through the States and they decided they were camping. And so they had a cooler, but thought it would stay cold. They must have been new to the game, so they didn't buy ice. They just put all their food into the cooler. So they put pizza in the cooler. They bought put hot dogs in the cooler. And they also had fruit. They got to the border. They had to throw out the fruit. The hot dogs in the cooler had turned green. Aww. Since we're newly married, my wife wanted to stay on budget. So we got to our campground and we eased out the only food we had left, which was noodle soup. <laughs> As we were walking back to the table, she tripped. The soup went to the ground. They had no food left, only $3. So they bought a beer. She had a bag of tip, chips, went to bed, woke up hungry, drove eight hours home hungry. We made it to Fargo, he says, where they stopped to eat, but we no longer stay in a budget anymore for any of our trips. I mean, ice, Mike. Mike, ice is what? A dollar a bag? Like, you're being super thrifty there, Mike. Got a couple questions for this story. A lesson learned, indeed. Here's another lesson that I can share. Uh, It's bring a map if you're going somewhere that you haven't been before. I remember the first time we went down to uh, Red Lake Falls, which is in Minnesota. It's just uh, south of Thief River Falls. It's near Crookston. It's about three hours south of Winnipeg. Uh, We went down there to do some tubing, and they have a campground, Voyager's View Campground. And uh, I was the navigator, and my buddy who was driving, I I, I suppose I should have printed a map, but he said he was going to bring maps. So I said, you got the map? And he hands me a map that he had printed, I think, from MapQuest. And I said, well, what's this? And he says, that's the map. But all the map was, was Winnipeg was on the top and Red Lake Falls was in the bottom. So basically the map, well, you might as well have just drawn a straight line pointing down, say drive south until you find it. 
<laughs> and we were, we, I think, spent 45 minutes. Once we got to Thief River Falls, we were completely lost, just driving <laughs> around in the dark. I would love to have seen the look on your face with that map handed oh, over. I oh, was man. so mad. I couldn't believe it. it was like, what are you thinking, dude? There isn't even, there's no directions on this map. We're just <laughs> heading south and hoping for the best. See, when we had your joy emoji, emoji, the picture of you golfing on the weekend was the joy emoji, and then the map face would be disgust. <laughs> Emoji. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Emoji. <laughs> hey, if you don't get there, it'll be because you're dead. <laughs> Carol and Pete have a, a non-camping story. Carol and Pete says, I had just started a new job shortly before we got married in 1998, so limited honeymoon time. We saw a special on at Polo Park for Hecla. Whatever reader, whatever iteration it was at that point, got a really nice suite for six days. Took two deals consecutively. While there, we saw people who had been at our wedding who were camping. Figured we would explore a bit. Headed out to the woods, saw this huge bear trap. Hecla is an island. Why are there bears? I asked. After that, I refused to go out into the woods. There might be wood ticks in June. I'm hopeless at camping, and my poor husband is still afraid of bears, although we never did end up seeing one. So, uh, I, I often wonder about couples where there's that opposite situation going on, where one might like to be in the outdoors, Brett, and the other one doesn't. Mm. I'm always good. Like My husband loves to camp as long as he sets me up with the hammock and a Caesar stump, which is the stump to which you put <laughs> your Caesar on. Caesar stump. Right. Just the, the number one thing when we get to the campsite is everybody go looking for a stump to which I can set my drinks. <laughs> I haven't done that in years, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's the way I need to I need to bring back the Caesar stump. That sounds like it should be part of the essential starter kit. Yeah. The Caesar stump. Hammock, book, Caesar stump. Tent, that's not my problem. Stove, not my problem. Firewood, not 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 on my list. That on my list, Brett. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful, Loren. Thank you for that. On this Easter Monday morning, over the past 24 hours, we have heard from doctors in both BC and Ontario backing up assertions that younger people are getting sicker than ever from COVID-19. Yeah, we've been hearing that for several weeks now. And so, of course, there's numbers coming in from different hospitals and different ICO, ICUs. And, of course, we know variants are a big part of that equation, Brett. And so as we carefully watch what's happening to the west and east of us, we are looking to see what impact the variants are having here and what we should make of this third wave making its way across other parts of the country. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is an assistant professor and Canada Research Chair with the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the U of M, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Kinderchuk. Good morning. Let's talk about the trends. You know, we, we, Brett mentioned BC and Ontario. Are we, do we know if we're seeing the same sort of thing here when it comes to the variants that are causing such concern in other parts of Canada? You know, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, right? So British Columbia and actually, frankly, you know, now some of the data we're seeing out of Alberta um, has actually, you know, showed that not only is B117 circulating, but this P1 variant that had originated in uh, in Brazil um, has also been circulating. And that's something we haven't necessarily seen uh, in other areas of the country. But B117 kind of is is predominating. And certainly, you know, I'm, I'm here in Saskatoon right now, uh, certainly south of us in Regina and Moose Jaw and Weyburn area. Uh, B117 is running rampant. So it's, you know, I think we're seeing the, the trends across the country. Temporarily, they may be, you know, differentiated, a, you know, by a week or so. 
uh, between different uh, different areas in regards to how quickly the cases are climbing. But but it, it's there, and it certainly is uh, that they're increasing everywhere. Why are they hitting younger people harder? Yeah, it's a good question, right? So there, I think there's a couple of factors at play. I mean, certainly one that, that we have to uh, you know appreciate is the fact that we got a lot of our high risk groups and uh, certainly our, our senior population fairly well vaccinated. Uh, you know, kind of after the the second wave, right around that December January. Uh, time period. So, so we've seen, you know, really high protection uh, across those groups. Um, we also have to appreciate as well that, you know, younger age groups as well uh, make up a, a pretty big uh, and substantial proportion of our frontline non-healthcare uh, workers and, and those that are that are essential. So think about industry positions. We think about things like people working in grocery stores, pharmacies, um, all those kind of, you know, front-facing, public-facing people are predominantly younger. So, it's you know naturally it's not maybe that surprising that, that we're seeing the circulation we are in the younger groups. Are we surprised about the impact it's having though? Like I know in at the start, uh, Dr. Kinderchuk, when we were talking about these variants, there was that warning that it's more infectious, so that it might spread more quickly, but it wouldn't necessarily have a bigger impact. But now we're hearing that it's putting more maybe more people in hospital. So is it is dangerous? Maybe not. I don't want to be alarmist, but is it is yeah. it? more concerning than we first gave it credit for, if that's the fair way to put it? Yeah, it's it's a good question, right? So back in December, when when Public Health England uh, started to release their data showing, you know, B117 had basically replaced all the circulating strains, we had good data at that point to say, yes, it's certainly more transmissible. But there was some data um, in the background saying we think that there might be some increase in disease severity. And, it, it, you know, it really took probably the better part of, you know, another four to six weeks uh, to kind of hash that out. But the trends seem to stick. And, and I think certainly we're seeing that. So if you take a virus that already you know, produces severe disease in a, a subset of the population, now you make it more transmissible. And now maybe you also um, you know, give it a, a little greater ability to, to produce more copies of itself or produce more disease, it becomes an issue. And, and I think it's going to take us a while to figure out why, um, you know, what are all the variables in the younger age groups that are putting more people, frankly, uh, in, in a hospital. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is our guest, Assistant Professor and Canada Research Chair with the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Disease, excuse me, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba. I've also heard that being outdoors uh, could still be a problem with these variants, that, they, that you know, we, we sort of saw being outside as being safer, but are these variants also affecting people even uh, in outdoor environments? Well, you know, they, we get into this this crux because the, certainly we know with the virus that as long you know, it basically put people outdoors, certainly transmissibility decreases, right? We have greater ventilation. Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of environmental factors that that will impact the virus, but we still have to be cognizant that you know a lot of the rules that still apply for us in regards to things like masking and distancing. If we can't keep separated, and of course you bring in the question of if people are outdoors. And they're socializing. Does that lead to more indoor activities as people get more comfortable or, or start to kind of relax their boundaries? So a lot of it is about just you know, remaining kind of cognizant in the moment about whether or not um, you are still kind of maintaining some of those protective uh, barriers while you're outdoors. But it's still certainly uh, a much safer environment than, than being indoors right now. 
So Canada hit its one millionth case over the weekend. We know that now 14.7% of Canadians are vaccinated, but still a long way to go. And as we talk about a more infectious variant and maybe how it's, you know, transmitting amongst younger people, where do kids sit in the equation, Dr. Kinderchuk, when it comes to the vaccine? Because there's still, you know, months to go of school and all sorts of questions like that for parents. Yeah, it's complicated, right? So certainly Pfizer... Um, has released some preliminary data saying that their 12 to 15 year old age group cohorts uh, in, in their trial look like they have really good protection. So I think that's going to, um, to to get that age group vaccinated pretty quickly. We know that certainly there have been trials that have opened up for for kids down at, you know as as young as six months. Um, that data is going to take a few months to roll in. So I think that there's still certainly there's a push to get them vaccinated, but it has to be done safely. And I think we're we're moving in that direction. Um, unfortunately. It, we can't just, you know, basically use guesswork to say, uh, you know, exactly what dosage to use or, or whether or not it, it absolutely is safe. Dr. Kendra Chuck, thank you so much for your time this morning. We very much appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair with the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba. And just on the subject of uh, vaccination, uh, my dad went Thursday morning. He was in and out in under an hour. His appointment was 11.20. He got there at 11, and he was out by 11.50. And uh, I, the plan was for me to meet him there and go in with him to the convention center. But he got there a couple of minutes before me, and he just went in, figured I'll, I'll just go in and get in line. And he, he, was, he was on the third floor right away, and he texted me to say, hey, I'm on the third floor. And I said, okay, I'll see you there. And then I went in, and they, they wouldn't let me in, unfortunately, because I wasn't with him. So Hey, man. He needs that. He wanted to get in there. No time to wait for you. Eh? <laughs> just like no patience. Gord's like, I'm not sitting around out here. Gonna go get in that line. <laughs> and Dad, if you're listening, it's okay. He felt so bad. He's like, I'm so sorry. Aww. It's okay, man. I, I, just... I know. It would have been. It's one of those moments you kind of wish you were there for, but at the end of the day, you don't care, right? He's yeah. got it. And and uh, now he's got to wait for a second one, I guess. Yeah, and he said he didn't. Uh, you know, he sat there for the 15 minutes after. He didn't feel anything. He said like it was just like getting any other shot, like a flu shot. He felt fine. He was able to drive home. So, uh, yeah, that that was exciting that he got his first shot. It is Monday morning, and the Winnipeg Jets return to the ice tonight after the game against the Canucks was postponed yesterday. Yeah, so tomorrow's game against Vancouver has also been postponed as the number of Canucks entering the NHL's COVID-19 protocol climbed to 16 as of yesterday. There were also three members of the coaching staff that have entered that protocol as well. Now, that doesn't mean that they've all tested positive. That's just how the NHL is doing things, putting people on that list and trying to make sure everybody is doing their due diligence. But of course, the situation is increasingly concerning for the Canucks. And as always at this time, Bob Irving joins us to recap some of the sportings of the weekend. But this one's a bit more serious. Bob, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? We're good. We know this was, you know, the way things might go all along when it comes to COVID and certainly other leagues and and sports have seen this kind of impact. But the situation for the Vancouver Canucks, it's not just about a couple games to be rescheduled. You know, there are some reports that some people are really not feeling very well either. So where do you think this takes them in the days ahead? And will this be any cause for a change to the way the NHL is doing things? Well, this is the NHL's worst nightmare to have this kind of thing, and it would apply, I think, to all leagues where they have one team in particular where it's spread like wildfire in stores. We're hearing, Loren, that 
uh, the families of the players and coaches involved, some of them have been sick and quite sick too, and they've made reference to that Brazil uh, part of the COVID that might be involved there. So, yeah, they've shut the Canucks down for sure for at least the next week. And then I guess they'll see where everything sits at that point, whether or not or when Vancouver can play again is very much up in the air. And again, this is the last thing in the world the NHL wanted to see, but everybody knew the possibility was out there. So we'll see how this plays out. They've rescheduled uh, the games with the Jets, or at least they've postponed them for now, and we'll reschedule them at a later date. There's even some speculation that uh, Vancouver the rest of their season might be shut down. I think that's a worst-case scenario. They will try to ice a team and and play some games, but uh, right now it's all up in the air. They'll have to reschedule games at the end of the season, which was always something they had, uh, you know, sort of as a a backup plan to begin with. So tonight the Jets will play Ottawa. That's how they filled in a bit of the Jets' schedule. They were supposed to play Vancouver yesterday and then again tomorrow, so Ottawa will come here tonight to play the Jets at 6 o'clock, our broadcast at 4. But, uh, yeah, this is there was even some speculation on the weekend that the NHL, if things really got bad, and I know, again, I'm pointing out a worst-case scenario, that they might have to go through the playoffs in a bubble like they did uh, last summer. So we'll see where this all goes. So as far as this game uh, tonight goes, lots of talk about the ever-changing top line. Is Maurice done tweaking yet? Yeah, I don't know about that. I guess we'll find out tonight. Uh, you know, coaches change lines quite often. It's it's not that unusual, although the Jets, you know, haven't done a lot of it until recently when uh, Paul Maurice made some changes to the top two lines. So, again, we'll see where that goes. I, I think he's probably not done tweaking, Brett, as you said. Uh, it'll depend on the results. If the, the top two lines play well and score, then he'll stick with them. Uh, if they don't, you know, I think we'll see the the center, Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, shuffled back and forth a little bit. So we'll wait and see. It's always a – coaching is always kind of experimenting and tinkering and switching lineups and defense pairings and whatnot. And sometimes you get some of them set. But when a team doesn't go well or maybe struggles for a bit of time, then the coach decides he needs to switch things up. So I think that's kind of an ongoing thing. Well, it's April, so I guess it's not technically, it's still March Madness in April, Bob, and we were joking about three weeks ago about how much interest you had in this, but man, an incredible game over the weekend, and now it's pitted uh, okay, basically the two best teams in the NCAA against one another for the big game tonight, so did you first of all catch the game with Gonzaga uh, over the weekend? Yes, I did. I, well, I caught the end of it. Ed Tate and I text quite a bit when we're watching sports, and uh, he's a big basketball guy. And I knew that Gonzaga was playing UCLA in the semifinal. And he said, you got to tune into this thing. It's really dramatic. And was it ever? And once I got there, I couldn't leave it because it was back and forth. And you've got all these elements of drama surrounding this game. Gonzaga with an unbeaten season. They're 36-0 and now after that win over UCLA. Will they be upset? Will their dreams be dashed? And then the game is tied. And Gonzaga you know, brings the ball into play. And... Uh, Jalen Suggs hits this this basket from you know his own side of center court as time is expiring to give uh, Gonzaga a 93 to 90 victory. It was just one of those things that highlights what sport can give you, and it's the kind of drama that nothing else can deliver. And it really was something else. So they'll play Baylor tonight in the the championship game, and they're the top two ranked teams in the U.S. So yeah, I'm not a big. Uh, I said this before. I'm not a big fan of uh, of March Madness, but when I got 
into that game, uh, I couldn't leave it. And again, it's just because sports provides a, a level of drama and excitement and all the rest of it that nothing else does. And I think that's one of the reasons why the tournament is so popular for people who aren't necessarily basketball enthusiasts, even or particularly college basketball enthusiasts, because there are so many close games. Because these, for a lot of these guys, this is this might be their final chance to play competitive basketball so they they just lay it all on the line yeah and, and there's always the matchups too brett and you know will this team upset the other team and so there's many aspects that go into it and create as i say i use the word drama this kind of drama that is very unique and boy we saw it heightened on the weekend with that gonzaga ucla game that was something else and then last night the women's ncaa final stanford beat arizona 54 53 a one-point win, and Arizona had a, a last-second shot, and the ball went off the rim. And, you know, again, just uh, the exciting kind of, it Like, it wasn't a 20-point blowout. It was the kind of game that you just die for if you're a basketball fan, and particularly a U.S. college basketball fan. So have you hit the links yet? Brett had his first golf experience over the weekend. Bob, have you gone out there yet? No, but I got my clubs re-gripped. Uh, look out, McGarry. I'm going to be a dynamite this year when I get out on the <laughs> it's course. It's all about the grip, Bob. That's what's been holding you back all these years. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i a bit of a fair-weather golfer, and it has to be kind of in the mid-teens before I'll head out there. But I can't wait to get started. I watched golf on the weekend, though, as I do every weekend. And, and I was really happy to see Jordan Spieth and his long drought. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with him, he, you know, in the first three years of his career, he won 11 times, including three majors, and he was the, truly the rising star in golf. And then he went three years without winning. And it's funny how this can happen to golfers when they're, you know, they're really in a groove and they're winning and playing great. And all of a sudden, they can make one small maybe swing change or whatever, and they lose it. And Spieth has struggled for three years, so it's quite a story. And he was back in the winner's circle yesterday. He won the Texas Open. And... He'll take that momentum into the Masters, which starts on Thursday in Augusta, Georgia. Are they, is it still a week-long event? Oh, yeah, there'll be, well, they they have a pro-am, not a pro-am, but they have practice rounds. They used to have a part three contest, uh, but they've, they're they not having that this year, Brett, because of COVID. So it's not quite the, the week-long, you know, jam-packed thing that it always was. But uh, players will be there uh, playing practice rounds today. And uh, getting ready for Thursday's start of one of the most prestigious sporting events in the world, the Masters. Are you? Do you think Spieth is a front runner? Well, he's got to be a contender for sure. He, he's won it before, and before that win yesterday in the Texas Open, he had been, you know, a contender in two or three events in the last month. So his game is back. There's no question about it. But uh, you know, there's any number of world class players, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, and talk about players who are kind of in a funk. Rory McIlroy's one of them, one of the great players in the game of golf, and right now he's struggling to find his game. Justin Thomas, there's all kinds of them who, you know, you would consider legitimate contenders for the championship here. So this is a full weekend of watching for you then. Do you do every single day? <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's uh, the coverage would start uh, in the morning and not end until mm-hmm. probably six o'clock in the evening, and I don't stay glued that long. But uh, yeah, and if it's if it's close, particularly on Saturday and then Sunday, if it's close and the lead's changing hands, you know, if you're a fan, it's hard to tear yourself away. It really is, and that's one of the challenges for me because when the weather's nice, I like to get outside. But the Masters has a particular lure. And again, if it's close, if guy's got a six-shot lead or something, it loses a bit of its drama. But uh, 
if it's close, it's it's hard to leave it. Bob Irving joins us every week, 8.30 on Mondays. Bob, thanks for the visit. Okay, no problem. Thousands of Manitobans are booking campsites today. At least 23,636, Loren? <laughs> well, that's where I'm at in line because I was just curious to see where things were at. You can book for Birds Hill this morning and then other campsites open up, other campgrounds open up later this week. It's a staggered system. And in case you haven't used it before, basically you get a ticket, so to speak, and then you're this kind of flashing dot in this zigzagging line that slowly takes you up to a, you know, a graphically designed park ranger who's waiting to take your reservation and so we've had lots of reports every single year it gets overwhelmed and people get in line and then they get kicked off the system and they have to book and rebook and so we were talking at six thirty-seven with christy gallinuk who had a whole system ready to go to book her sites this morning for birds hill park and i understand christy's on the line with us now 45 minutes one hour 45 minutes later christy you found some success I did. Uh, no thanks to my spot in line at 9,987, though. Luckily, my sister was able to get in uh, a couple browsers at uh, the 3,000 mark in line. So she was able to book some sites for us. And did Beautiful. you get the dates you wanted? The dates I wanted, yeah, we got the dates I wanted. We actually managed to even get us a couple sites right close to each other for a weekend together. So is it just that the system has so many... Do you, have you ever understood or had an explanation, Christy? Is it overwhelmed and then it boots you off or pushes you back or keeps you down in the queue? Is, I mean, what's going on there in terms of how it is so stressful for so many people? You know, I, I don't know what the system is all about or what's happening behind the scenes, but it's happened on more than one occasion where uh, me or my sister has gotten to the front of the line and then, you know, it crashes and, and you don't get in and then it kicks you right back to the back of the line. So, um, I, you know, with 20,000 people on, I, it's too much. It's too much for the system to handle. they got to figure something out. <laughs> the good news is you got your sights. Are you feeling victorious then? Or do you owe your sister uh, a little uh, drink at the campsite, <laughs> so to speak, I, Yeah, I do. I told her she could buy a pair of shoes on me because, uh, you know, I owe my camping for her. <laughs> now, the, the, the sites that you booked, uh, you were able to get in. Um, and spend a couple of hours almost on the site, but we've had some people pointing out like, well, what if, you know, it's, you work shift and you can't even get in at 7 a.m. So have you ever been in a situation where you simply were not available to, to get in to make the reservations because of work or whatever? Yeah, I, uh, I used to do some traveling for work, and I remember a couple of years back, uh, one of the mornings I was, I was on the road early morning to go to Brandon, and uh, you know, I tried. I tried to pull over on the side of the road to to get in, but no such luck. I had to keep going. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't think, this many people back then. So, <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, I know in the past couple of years with COVID, Christy, that we just have more people potentially attempting to camp or looking to camp than maybe in years past. But let's be frank: you can go back several years. I'm guessing with this issue with the reservation, this is not just because there's more people perhaps than ever before camping. Oh, no, this this has been a problem for a number of years now. Yeah, this is not the first time, that's for sure. Well, we salute you. Congrats. And do you have to do this all over again on Wednesday? Yep, Wednesday and next Monday. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Well, Christy, thank you so much uh, for reaching out to us. And again, when we saw that schedule, we thought we need this person's organizational skills because you've got the whole thing mapped out. And it uh, looks like it's going to be a super fun summer. 
Yes, I hope so. Thanks so much for having me on. Christy Gallinuk joining us live on 680 CJOB talking about camping reservations. I know camping isn't for everybody, and that's one of the options in our question of the day at cjob.com. You can either vote on, yes, I'm all over it, not yet, I'll wait, camping isn't my thing, or I hate camping, but uh, and it's... I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I hate it. I would say it's probably not my thing. But for those who are into camping, like really into it, I, I, it's actually fun just watching the setup. I remember going with some friends to Falcon Lake, and uh, me and my girlfriend at the time just went for the day. But uh, watching the other groups assemble, it was like a military operation with just how efficiently they got everything set up and they had all of the gear and it made me it made me want to start camping loren yeah when you go camping with people who have the goods you really want to get into it until you realize what you need but if someone else is doing it for you again the stump if you have a caesar stump and a hammock and a husband who's going to set up the tent i am all in Greg is already texting us. Hey, uh, which should I book this for tomorrow? Like Greg, I don't know. Take wanna, a day, man. I, I don't want to hear from you unless you want to cut. You want to come into work? I didn't. I was tired today. I would have been happy to stay home. So if you're already in work mode, come do the rest of the show, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Both home. Both you and I woke up with the first thought being. When do I get to go back to sleep? <laughs> hey, it's basically how Mondays go for all of us. We got to get to Rick's text and Lenore's got a good one. I just want to read this quick text from Kathy uh, because this is just priceless. We were camping with friends in the wilderness, proceeded to get ready to chop wood. Well, the chainsaw would not work. The guys tried everything to get it to work. I came up with the brainy idea. Maybe there is no gas. Well, they looked at me like I had fallen on my head. The guys brainstormed for a while, checked the oil, etc. Still not working. Last resort, they checked the gas gas and yep no gas to say the least it was quite a quiet weekend no one could look at me <laughs> out of embarrassment great story kathy yeah guys can be stubborn yeah you, you can be yeah lenore texted to say that they had uh rented a bunch of hotel rooms for the slow pitch tournament but she and her son decided that they, they were going to camp uh he was 10 at the time we were sound asleep in the tent about three in the morning i hear this rustling being half asleep, I figured someone had had too much to drink and was just looking for something to eat and was going through my belongings. As I started to unzip the tent to tell them to carry on, I woke a little more and realized it wasn't a person but a bear and her cubs. <laughs> I quickly lay back down in the tent when I suddenly felt, felt a bear sniffing my head from the outside. I was shaking so badly that I was actually vibrating across the tent floor. As I lay there shaking, the family took what they needed and carried on through the bush. I quickly woke my son and told him what was happening. And, yep, we went to sleep in the truck. Wow. I bet you they didn't sleep much. No, no. How could you sleep after that? Great story. But uh, North End Rick is the winner. And, Loren, you're, you're the one who spotted this. Would you like to read this or shall I? No, go for it. This this. uh I'll just laugh my way through it while you read it. <laughs> when we were teenagers, we went camping at Birds Hill Park. There were about seven or eight of us. One of my friends was notorious for going into guys' backpacks and taking stuff to snack on. So, with the knowledge that our buddy would probably do this, we pre-made some s'mores with one very notable change. The chocolate was exchanged with x lax <laughs> So we came back to the camper one evening from swimming and, of course, found him and his buddy at the fire cramming s'mores into their faces at an alarming rate. We checked our pack. Sure enough, half the pre-made s'mores were gone, about six of them. A few hours later, we were having a few beer around the fire, and our friend and his buddy were experiencing some 
Pretty nasty gas. Well, one of the salvos our buddy fired out caused the giggles that were typical of those events to turn to a look of ghostly white as he accidentally, um, shall we say, pulled the trigger a little bit. So still the funniest prank we ever pulled. North End Rick, great story. Congratulations. You win the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Great memory. And we, you know, we have... We enjoy these stories so much because you paint wonderful pictures and you make us feel like we're right there with you in these memories. So thanks for being a part of our morning. I bet you it's also making people this morning saying, and you can't because why? (laughs) (laughs) All these stories of being rained on and not having the right equipment and forgetting the tent and a bear sniffing at your head and someone putting X-lax in for the s'mores. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah, uh, you can keep the camping. I'll stick to the hotel because I, uh, I'm not into the camping, but I salute you if you do. I've got two experts of book reviews for an author we are about to meet. ER meets Homeland in a frenetic Egyptian adventure. Hope Z turns her medical crime fighting into an international incident. Terrorism, tombs, sarcasm, and sex. Here's another one. Scorpion Scheme is top-notch historical crime fiction with a fabulous kick-ass female protagonist, the kind of book that you can't just put down. And that's, of course, all thanks to our next guest, who is not only an award-winning writer, she's also an emergency physician. Melissa Ioannis is her name, and she joins us now. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning. Well, we have all sorts of questions about your book and your new book uh, in a moment, but I do want to just talk a bit about the fact that you are an ER doctor. What's life been like for you the past year? It's been up and down. (laughs) I work in a small emergency room, so we haven't been hit as hard as some of the bigger communities, but it's still tough. You know, people are always sick, and now we have COVID on top of it, and more mental health issues, too. People are really getting tired. And you started a petition a while back pertaining to COVID and the pandemic. That petition now has over 200,000 signatures. Uh, What's it about and what prompted you to do it? At the beginning of the pandemic, we really needed to find direction. Um, As you know, we were just looking at everything that was happening overseas, frontline healthcare workers dying because they didn't have enough PPE, and knowing that we did not have enough in Canada. We were not prepared. So I started this petition partly as a wake-up call to the leaders to ask them about making sure that we would have PPE and that we were looking ahead to treatment, prevention, anything else that we needed to do. And 62 physicians signed on. There were actually more, but I had to cut it off because there are just too many people. And uh, as you said, we got over 200,000 signatures. And do you feel in the end, Melissa, you got what you needed in terms of those supplies? I know that was an issue everywhere, right, with those concerns at the start that um, was, more needed you know, to be done. Yeah. So provincially, they just tried to coordinate to make sure that everybody had what we needed, and we were able to. But we were also grateful to just private citizens who donated what they could, and um, hospitals for rallying around. It still left the family physicians without enough protection, you know, so they were having to work virtually. It was tough for everybody. You also write articles for the Medical Post in a collection called The Most Un... And I love this name. The Most Unfeeling Doctor in the World and Other True Tales from the Emergency Room. Who is the most unfeeling doctor in the world? Well, according to at least one patient, it's me. (laughs) So um, that was screamed at me across the emergency department. And I was uh, assembling the collection and I said to my husband, 
I was thinking, what do you think of the title Lifesavers, you know, as a joke, or the most unfeeling doctor in the world? And he's like, the most unfeeling doctor in the world. <laughs> so I said, that's terrific. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with it. And um, that collection of essays was very popular on Amazon, and I turned it into a fringe show. So I was supposed to go to Edmonton and Winnipeg in 2020. Didn't make it, of course. Uh, and now we're looking at 2022. But I'm hoping it'll still be happening. Well, Melissa, we do hope you get here. And I'm kind of fascinated by just both your, your background and your day job, so to speak, or night job, depending on the shift, I'm guessing, as a, an ER doctor, but also a writer. And I'm curious if you're in a very real world. You see all sorts of uh, horrific things, I can imagine, but also, you know, the greatest highs of people's lives and the lows. And so does the reality of your, your job as a doctor, did it push you to become a fictional author because to take you down that sort of uh, fantasy world so that you're not always living in reality? Right, right. Like it could be a chicken and egg thing, right? Like where there's just so many stories in the emergency room and I had to start writing or I did I start writing before I went to the emergency room. And the answer is the second one, actually. I always wanted to be a writer. I just didn't want to starve to death. So I said, <laughs> hey, I'm going to do both. I knew that I could, that I, I was always good at school. And I always wanted to help people, so I was like, medicine is a good fit, um, and I'll keep writing on the side. And that's what I've done pretty much the whole time. And when I went into medicine, I was like, I knew it would be a privilege that I'd get to see people at the best and worst times of their lives. Um, and I knew it would give me more story ideas, although, of course, I would fictionalize everything to, to hide their identity. Our guest is Melissa Ewan Innes. She is... Uh, here to talk about her latest book, Scorpion Scheme, and you've written several books in this series, which is described as medical crime. Did you invent that genre? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I wish I could claim uh, that I had. But in this case, it's because the first three books in the series are more mysteries, and books four to eight are more thrillers. So this way, medical crime covers both of them. So Let's mysteries talk about- tend to be more a puzzle and how to solve it, and then thrillers are more just go, go, go. Turn the pages, try to figure out how she's going to survive. So let's talk about her, Hope Z, this fabulous, kick-ass female protagonist, <laughs> as one of the uh, reviewers put it. Tell us about Hope. So Hope is a lot of fun because she is me in residency. So except for I have to say that one of the things is that she has a love triangle, which I didn't have. I was already married by the time I was in residency. <laughs> but Darn, I had had so many more questions for <laughs> <than that. laughs> <laughs> coming. But the idea is that um, when you finish medical school, you can match anywhere in Canada or around the world. Um, you need to do postgraduate training. You can't practice with an MD. You need to have two to, you know, five, seven years of additional training. It's this extremely long haul. Um, so in my case, I matched to Montreal, and I was stunned, actually, at the change. It's only two hours away from Ottawa, which is where I'm from, but I was like, why are people reversing down one-way streets? Why are they turning left on a red light from the right-hand lane? Why are the roads falling apart? Why do all the books smell like smoke in the library? You know, I, it, was, it was a really different world. Um, most people are thinking that it's going to be very French, but I could already speak French. It wasn't that. It was really a cultural difference. And then once I started <laughs> driving there, I was like, oh, it's because if you, this by the way, for the one-way street thing, it's because if you 
go too far and you're like, oh, I, I just missed two houses, I just need to back up, it's faster to do that than to go all the way around the block. So I started doing it a little bit too. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a real culture shock for hope. And medically, also, I couldn't believe the change in healthcare system. As you know, it's run provincially, and some provinces have more funding than others. And when I got there, I was just like, look at all the people in the hallways. Um, the nurses had just been on strike because they were one of the lowest paid in Canada. Um, once I was going down the stairs on call, and part of the plaster had fallen off the wall and was just lying in the middle of the stairs. Stuff like that. <laughs> so, oh, there was, there was no running water in the examining rooms in the family medicine clinic. So if I was doing a pap test and I had the speculum and I wanted to warm it up, a metal speculum, so that it wasn't too cold for the woman, I would have to run outside, <laughs> run down the hall, get water, like warm it up and water from the sink, and then run back, knock on the door, and then go in. And the curtains didn't even work properly. Like, they would get stuck. So the poor woman was just stuck there waiting for me to come back. Um, as you can imagine, really not optimal. So there are lots of shocks like that. And I guess subconsciously after a while I started to think about murder. And like, you could just die in this system and nobody would know. Or many people wouldn't figure it out. So I thought it would be great to have a medical resident who was going from discipline to discipline. Like she starts off in emergency medicine. Um, and the next one is psychiatry. So every time she's doing a different rotation and every time she's solving a different mystery. And it, the, this latest one brings her to Egypt uh, and involves the curse on King Tutankhamun's tomb? Um, there is a reference with King Tutankhamun. It's not exactly that, uh, but they do talk about it. It's, it's actually interesting to think about the curses, the myth, and the reality. Well, it sounds like a fun book, and uh, just the, when you say that you were always good in school, that you were able to become a doctor and write award-winning novels, um, when do you, like, do you, do you ever sleep? <laughs> you know what? I used to be just a terrible sleeper, and I would, so I would wake up sometimes and I would write. And one of my friends in residency was just like, really? When I wake up, I just try to go back to sleep. <laughs> but I guess it's like the host who didn't make it in today. You know, sometimes you're a workaholic and you just want to keep on going. <laughs> but now I think it's really important to sleep, you know, just in general. Like, you know, you can push your body pretty far, but you, it can't go 100%, you know, 100 miles an hour for X number of decades. Like, you do need to rest and take care of yourself. So yeah. I really encourage people to do that. But I'm curious, just before we let you go, did, because you have all these stories, real and otherwise, go into your head, does that wake you up sometimes to keep writing? Like you mentioned that you will get up and write, or you used to, but I, yeah, I feel like the storylines must run through your head all the time, even while you're sleeping. Yes, and sometimes it's really frustrating if there's something that I, you know, if I'm still in the emergency room and I'm trying to solve various things, it's really annoying. <laughs> so um, I'm either doing that or I'm traveling or I'm taking exams. <laughs> It does keep me up at night sometimes. Melissa, you and Innes, thank you so much for joining us this morning to tell us about uh, your life and your book. We very much appreciate this. Thank you so much. And I'll just add that the books are written as Melissa Yee, Y-I. Melissa Yee, Scorpion Scheme, is the name of the book. Hope Z is the character, a medical crime novel. Once again, a kick-ass female protagonist. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.